When you think about God, how do you visualize him? I mean, do you see him as a young man? Do you see him as middle-aged? Do you see him as an old man with white hair sitting on a throne somewhere? When you talk to him, what do you talk about? What is the theme of your conversation? What's the major thing you're interested in? Wouldn't you admit that most of the time, that most of our conversation to him is about something that we need? If we were really and truly honest, we would sort of be at the center of our conversation, what we need, what we want, our cares, and so forth. Don't you imagine that God would oftentimes love to hear us talk about him, and to praise him, and adore him, and worship him, and maybe recall his attributes and his characteristics and how great and good and mighty and powerful and loving and kind he is to us, rather than so much of the time hearing about our needs, which he is more than willing to grant. Well, when you and I look at the scriptures and we look at the prayers of these Old Testament saints so often, when they prayed at the heart of their prayer was the greatness and the power and the might and the majesty of Almighty God. And that's what I'm going to talk about in this passage, because if you, for example, will recall in the Psalms how often you have read the Psalms and how many times the greatness of God is mentioned in the Psalms. For example, the psalmist says he speaks of God being very great, that he's a great king, that his mercies are great, his loving kindnesses are great, uh, his deeds are great that he does great things, that his glory is great, his strength is great, his deliverances are great, that he doeth mighty things, the scripture says are great things, that his name is great, and that he does great wonders, and that his greatness is beyond human understanding. Now, I want you to turn to the 86th Psalm, and in this Psalm, David begins, like most of us begin our prayers. He starts off by talking about his affliction. And I want us to read a few verses of this psalm, and then I want you to notice, uh, toward the end of this first portion, that the basis for which he makes his request is his understanding, faith in, and belief in the greatness of God. He says, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 86, talking to the Father now, he says, Incline thine ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Doesn't that sound like us? That's where we start him off, O Lord. Do preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O thou my God, save thy servant who trust in thee. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to thee I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of thy servant, for to thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon thee. See, now he's talking about, he's switched over to God now. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I shall call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. There is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord. See how he talks about what his need is, and he talks about how great God is. For thou wilt answer me. There is no one like thee among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like thine. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and they shall glorify thy name. Look at this next verse. For thou art great, and doest wonderful deeds, thou alone art God. I think this is a good pattern for us to think in terms of our own prayer life, that in our praying that we don't get on some particular need that we have, and we just sort of lay in there and hang in there about, I need this, and I need that, and I need the other. If you'll notice, not only did he present his needs, but he mixed his needs, beautifully balanced, 
with the nature, the attributes, the greatness, the power, and the love of God. He says, I know you're going to hear and answer my prayer. You're a great God. All the nations of the earth come before you. He says, Thou art God and the only true God. So what I would like for us to think about this morning and is the greatness of God maybe in a little different way than we normally think about it. And I want us to think about how God reveals his greatness to us. And one of the ways that his greatness is revealed is the fact that he, if you'll think about uh, uh, what he's like in areas that you and I normally would use specific words, how great is God in relation to space? For example, we say that God is omnipresent that he is everywhere. We know that he's everywhere. But when we think about, well, God is over there and God is over here, we think about finite objects and we think, well, now this pulpit here is right here. This pulpit can't be any other place as long as it's right here. Because all finite objects are limited to where they are. So we say, it's here. It can't be here and over yonder and over here at the same time. God is spirit. He is absolutely limitless. He cannot be limited by anything when it comes to space because God is the one who created space. There was no such thing as space until he created it. Before the creation of the world, what was there? You and I cannot even describe it. That is, he is infinity in every aspect of his being, and you cannot separate who God is from his attributes. For example, if we say he is omnipresent, that's part of what God is. If he is omniscient, that's part of what God is. If he is omnipresent, that's part of what God is. There is no place where you can limit God. And so when we say, well, he's over here, he's over yonder, he's in my heart, that is true. But the truth is that God isn't limited to being over there and over here. Unlike anything that man has created or that man has made, God is above and beyond all space. Therefore, he cannot be limited by any segment of space, whatever. So when you and I say that he is within us because that's what Jesus says. He says, I'm abiding in you and you and me. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us and we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior so that we can rightfully say that God is now indwelling us. He's living on the inside of us. My heart, your heart, people who live in Brazil, he's in their heart. People who live in South Africa, he's in their heart. People who live in China, he's in their heart. He's in their hearts, he's in our heart. How do you define and locate God? You cannot locate him. You can take all of the measurements, and you can take maps and globes and you name it. You cannot put a finger on where God is. While he is everywhere, you cannot say he's here, but not over here. And so he is above all space and beyond all of that. He is the kind of God who is absolutely limitless. Now, what does that do for me when I come to him with my own requests and my own desires, for example? What comfort is there in this? Because I want us to see this in the light of the greatness of God, our comfort. And that is, if he is infinite, limitless in his capacity, unlimited by space, then that means this. That no matter where you and I are, whatever the situation, the circumstance, you cannot say that God is not there. And when a person walks through a period of deep, dark aloneness in their life, what you and I want to say to them is that the God who is spirit, he is not limited by space. So no matter where you are today, tomorrow, or where you'll be next year, or where you have been, you have never taken a single step. You have never breathed one single breath outside of the presence of God. Now, to all of us who are believers, that is the most comforting, reassuring thing. That when we walk through those deep, dark valleys of aloneness, 
and feel that aloneness. It may be something we feel, but we're not feeling reality. Reality says, I'm walking in the presence of this God whom I cannot touch with my physical hands, whom I cannot see with my physical eyes, and whom I, I cannot feel this way, but he is here. Why? Because there is no place where God is not. But he cannot be limited to here and yonder and over here. So when we say that he's above and beyond all space, we're talking about the greatness of God and the fact that he cannot be limited. For example, Jeremiah would put it this way. Look in the 23rd chapter and the 23rd verse. He asked this question. He says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God for all? He says, Am I the kind of God who is limited in space by anything, anywhere, under any condition? And the answer, of course, is not. And so that you and I walk and live in the presence of God every single moment of our life. Now, what he's saying is that he is reliably there. He may just be there, but he is reliably there, always, no exception. You and I live in the presence of God. Now, when you say, well, live in the presence of God, how present? Now, think about this. The presence of God has nothing to do with my feelings. My feeling or my awareness of that presence may and will affect my relationship to him. Listen to this. If God is anywhere... He is everywhere the same. He is not more over here than he is over yonder. He's not more in the United States than he would be in China. Wherever God is, he's all there. He is absolutely, totally all there. And when people say, for example, uh, and, and oftentimes I, I think it's English, but that's what they believe, they say, well, I'm, uh, I've been saved, but I'm going to get the Spirit. I'm gonna, I need to get the Holy Spirit. My friend, when you trust that Jesus Christ is your Savior, which I don't doubt that you believe this, you know that Christ came into your life. That's where we put it. He came, came into your heart. He came into your spirit, however you want to say it. So when Christ, who is God, came on the inside of you, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came to indwell you. Listen to this. You can't get any more of God on the inside of you than you got the moment he came into your life. Why? Because wherever he is, he is totally there. God isn't on the inside of us in goodness and not justice. He's not living on the inside of us in judgment and not love. Wherever God is, he is all there. You can't segment him, you can't divide him, and you cannot say he's more here than there. For example, someone would look at one Christian who's about half backslidden and say, you don't have much of God in your life. He's got as much of God in his life if he has any of him as you and I have in our life. Wherever he is, he is all there with all his attributes, all of his wisdom, all of his knowledge, all of his power. You cannot locate God because he is spirit above and beyond all things. Turn to the 139th Psalm. You recall he asked a question here. And uh, David says, beginning in verse 7, he says, Where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I go that God is not? Listen to this. Or where can I flee from thy presence. If I ascend to heaven, I'll find you there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, that'll hide me. He says, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to thee. And the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are like to thee. He says there is no place to go where God is not. 
Now, you say, well, you mean to tell me that God is in the bars and in the circumstances like that where people are just living like the devil? Is God there? Well, listen, if you can think in terms of God being a person dwelling here and yonder moving there, you may say no. There is no place where God's presence is not. Because all places, wherever they are, in the presence of God. That's why he says, where are you going to go to hide from God? You say, well, is God more in this church building than he is uh, uh, in, in a bar? Well, if, if church building and bar in the presence of God, you can't say more of him here, more of him there. The Spirit of God, the awareness of God, the presence of God would be far more evident here. But sometimes it can be evident somewhere else. For example, I walked into, and I don't go to bars, uh, but I, I walked into this restaurant, and uh, just out of my curiosity, I, I walked into the bar and just looked to see what was going on. I spotted a church member halfway down the bar. And so I just smiled and walked back, walked away. Came back outside with my wife, and I said, guess what? And before I could say anything, here he came. Oh, Dr. Stanley, how you doing? Wonderful, wonderful. I said, doing fine. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He said, Dr. Stanley, I didn't know you ate in restaurants. I want to say, where do you think I eat? He was so guilty. I mean, I mean, he was written all over him. So about that time, you know, we were standing in line. I had about 20 minutes to wait, and they called his number. He said, uh, are, you, are you standing in line? I said, yeah. How long do you have to wait? He's about 20 minutes. I said, oh, you take my place. Don't worry about it. Come on. Take my table. And I did. <laughs> I did. Now, was God in the bar? He was there for that moment, brother, because he was under conviction. Now... He's there anyway. You cannot name a place God is not. Because he says, where shall I go to hide from the presence of God? There is no place to hide from him. Secondly, God's greatness is revealed in the fact that he is above and beyond all time. Time cannot limit God. Now, we think in terms of time, but we think in terms of Seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and generations and centuries. And we think that way because that's how life is for us. And we think about the fact that we have so many years to live. But with God, it's infinite. He says he's Alpha and Omega. He was before time ever began. In other words, we didn't come up with the idea of a clock. God's timing, he is beyond all time. He cannot be confined to a moment. He is not limited by time. So therefore, God doesn't have to hurry. God doesn't have to slow down. And there are no limitations of time on God. And so when we think in terms of time, and we think in terms of, of how all these things work in our system we live in, think about this, for example. Somebody says, well, how old is God? That question isn't even an appropriate question. Because the Bible says that he is from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. There is no time space. When he says Alpha and Omega, I'm the beginning and the end, that doesn't mean he started here and ended here. It means that before the beginning was, God was. After time shall cease on this earth, God will be. There are no limitations of time on him. And so when we think of time, we have to fit into certain schedules, and that's the way we operate. The wonderful thing about God is this. When he thinks in terms of time, he is above all time, and therefore time has no effect upon him. There's nothing outside of God that affects God. 
There's nothing outside of God that makes God do anything. And so he sees all things in relationship to time. Now, God is like a little boy who stands up in the top of the steeple and watches the parade from where it starts to where it ends. And so at each segment along the parade, he can see the whole thing. Now, he sees this band here, this band here, and these people marching here. He sees each one in their order, each one in their perspective. And so he sees it all at the same time. But at any given time, he sees any part of it at any given place. That's the way he looks at your life and mine. That's the way he looks at all of society. That's the way he sees all of history. God sees all of history from beginning to end. And therefore, he is not affected by what's going on in time. And here's one civilization that can last a thousand years, and here's one that lasts three hundred years. So all of that is under the scrutiny, all of that is under the vision of God. He's seeing all these things that are going on. He is above and beyond all of that. And so when people rise to power and they threaten each other, how insignificant they are compared to this almighty God who is above all space and all time, and who is looking and seeing all things equally at the same time. And so the wonderful thing about that for us is this, that here we are in life moving along, and God, who's not limited to time, can therefore can see it all at the same time. He knows what's in the next block in your life. He knows what's two blocks away in the parade. He knows what's three blocks away. So when God, in his infinite wisdom above and beyond all time, says to us, wait, wait upon the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait. You know why he says wait? Because he, unlimited that time, seeing it all, knows what's coming. And therefore, he knows that at this time in your life, it is time to slow down. At this time in your life, it's time to move on. At this time in your life, he knows he's going to have you take a turn. And so therefore, one of the comforts of the fact that God is above and beyond all time and space is that he is controlling and will govern and guide our life at every single segment. We don't have to worry about the timing as long as you and I are walking in time and in concert with him. And so as you'll think about all through the scriptures, for example, how oftentimes that the Old Testament characters especially, God would work in their lives. And you, you and I can see how the timing was so very, very important. Turn to the 90th Psalm. The 90th Psalm and the uh, first uh, couple of verses here. He says, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, O thou didst give birth to the earth and the world before all of time. Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And so you can't fit God in the time. And therefore we say, Lord, I, I think you, you need to hurry up and let's get this done. Now here we are telling God to hurry up when he's above and beyond all time and sees everything in his perfect perspective. The greatness of God, when you and I come to him in prayer, we need to mix in our prayers not only what we're asking him for, but to recall to his glory and to recall to his honor and to recall to his praise those attributes that this God whom we serve is omnipresent. All places are in his presence. That he is absolutely omniscient, knows all things. Omnipresent has all power. He is above and beyond all timing and scheduling of man. Therefore, when I come to him, I don't have to come fretting and fuming about suppose this, that, and the other. If I am walking in concert with his will, since timing is under his control, 
And he perfectly times every single thing. You see, sometimes we'll hear some liberal theologian talk about the miracles in the Bible and they're explaining them away and say, well, these things just happened to happen at this particular time. Why, certainly they did. Who do you think was controlling the time? God, who is above and beyond all time, controls that. So one of the aspects of his greatness is that he's above and beyond all time and space. A third expression of his greatness is the way he expresses his greatness through his power. We say that God is omnipotent. That is, he has all power. Now, you recall when God spoke to Abraham, for example, uh, he said to him, I am El Shaddai, the almighty God. That is, there is no power, no energy, no strength, in existence that does not originally come from God. We can talk about energy from the sun and all the rest, but who created that? God may have natural ways of providing power and strength and energy, but all strength, all power, and all energy is from God. For example, he can speak in a split second, and your body could be so absolutely paralyzed that nothing would move, and you can't move, not even an eyelash. He can stop the heartbeat, or he can start it. That is, God, in all of his infinite, awesome power, is in absolute control, sovereignly controlling every single aspect of life. There's not anything that's not under his control. If there is anything that is not under his control, then he's no longer omnipotent. And if he's not omnipotent, then he's no longer God. Whatever can control God is greater than God, and therefore he can't be God and have something else controlling him. So when you and I search the Scriptures, we begin to think in terms of how God expresses this. For example, he expresses his power, his supernatural power, through nature, for example. How did he create this world? The Bible isn't saying about him getting in heaven and having a committee together and deciding how they're going to do it and getting all the stuff together. When the Bible says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, he created it out of nothing. God didn't get any substance together somewhere and sort of mold this ball of earth. He created everything that is in existence out of nothing. And so how did he do it? He just simply said, let there be. And look what he did. Look what God did. All he had to do is it was to speak it. He spoke this earth into being. For example, out of his omnipotence, out of his power, we saw what happened in Genesis when he sent the flood that covered this earth and the plagues into Egypt. And we see how all through the Old Testament, God kept expressing his power to roll back the Red Sea. For example, when Jesus walked on the water, what was God doing? supernaturally exercising his divine omnipotence to do what? To control the waters. When he said, for example, peace be still to the storms, and it died in a split second, that is an expression of his power. When he took five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000, plus the women and children, what was that? An expression of his power. Now, when Jesus walked on this earth, he didn't perform miracles just in order to heal people and comfort them and to make them feel better. His miracles had one underlying motivation. His miracles were for the purpose primarily of saying, I am God. I am the Son of God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God's great exercises of power 
are not simply to enable us to feel better, to have what we need. The exercise of God's power and the miraculous workings of God are his ways of shouting to us, I am Jehovah God. I am who I say I am. I am El Shaddai. I am the Almighty One. God wants us to recognize his greatness and his power. And when you see people, for example, who come on the scene and they get voted into office, whether it's a president or a king or uh, some dictator somewhere who's chosen or, or they manipulate themselves in and they strut around like they are somebody, they're not anybody. Because, listen, it doesn't make any difference who voted for them or who placed them in power by a coup or whatever it might be. Almighty God allowed it to happen. For example, go back to Daniel chapter 4. And there are other passages, but this is one. In Daniel chapter 4, and I think every politician should read this passage. More than once they should read it. He says in the 17th verse, and it's a long verse, the 17th verse of Daniel. He says, this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watches, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know. God says, I'm doing this because I want the whole of mankind to know something. What do I want them to know? This, that the Most High, that is the Most High God, is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. He says, I'm the one who rules and reigns. The sovereignty of God means that God is, listen to this, God is the unmovable, sovereign, ruling, reigning authority over all of creation with absolutely no exception. There is no power that can challenge his power. So, in the realm of nature... God exercises his authority and power in the realm of history. And that's what he's speaking of here in Daniel. That God is the one who's overseeing history. He's the one who's overseeing the rise and fall of civilizations and dictators. We don't always understand why God allows such evil men to spread their evil all over this world and to cause such heartache and bloodshed and violence. But he allows it for a purpose. They think they're doing it. Now, that doesn't mean that God initiates it, creates it, causes it, but he allows it. He allows evil, knowing that there is evil. He does allow evil as well as he, of course, promotes righteousness. But the sovereign God is in control. Now, think about this. If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, if the omnipotence of God is not a reality in your life, when you come to him facing some strange and strong difficulty and hardship, if you don't believe that God is in sovereign control, here's what you have to see. I either believe in the sovereignty of God or I believe in victimism. That is, that I am a victim of circumstance. If I am a child of God and God is sovereign, only what almighty, sovereign, omnipotent God chooses to allow can happen to you and me no matter what. That's why I don't believe in accidents. And people talk about, well, good luck. Don't give me any of that. I don't want good luck. I want the intervention. I want to be accompanied by the wisdom and the supernatural power of God. I don't want luck. Luck is something the world talks about. We're talking about the supernatural power of God. And into the life of every single believer, all that God is lives within you and me. All of the power of God exists within us. You say, well, wait a minute now. If all the power of God exists within us, we could do supernatural things. Well, 
There are many things that can be done through a person supernaturally when God chooses to allow that power to flow through that person. Just because you and I are indwelt by the supernatural power of God because of His presence doesn't mean that you and I are going to believe Him enough to allow that supernatural power to operate in our life, though we can. That doesn't mean that we can do anything. It is Christ living within us. It is the power of God within us because He is indwelling us. And I can tell you this. All of us would see more of the power of God exercised in our life if we could grasp the fact of the greatness of God indwelling us and allow Him to exercise His authority and His power, which begins with the absolute total submission of my will and my ways to God. Otherwise, what would we do? If we're not fully submitted to Him and we talk about power, we would want to use that power for ourselves. And when I hear people saying, I want the power of God in my life. I want the power of God. I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Why do you want the power of God in your life? Most of the time, they can tell you something they want to do. The supernatural power of God flows, listen to this, flows the fullest and with the most energy and with the most thrust in the life of those people who are fully submitted to the will of God. If you want the supernatural power of God in your life, then submit yourself totally to Him so that it is all of God, not yourself, or you and I will take advantage of situations, circumstances, and we will want to manipulate God to accomplish and achieve things that we want. And so, if I want the supernatural power of God in my life, it begins with the absolute, total submission of my will to this God. His power reigns supreme over anything and everything. Now, if you do not believe in the sovereignty of God, then here's what happens. Then you believe that people can do this to you and this to you and this to you and there's nothing you can do about it and therefore you're a victim of circumstance. Now, I'm not saying that people do not become victims as such in crime and so forth as we think in terms of victims. But nothing... Absolutely nothing can happen unless almighty, sovereign, omnipotent God allows it. He never initiates evil. He never initiates crime. He never initiates abuse of any kind. God is not behind any of that. But he chooses to allow the evil of mankind to express itself with certain limitations. Somebody says, well, I believe that man has a free will. Well, how free? Well, I believe man has a free will. Man cannot have a free will. He can have a limited free will, limited by the sovereignty and limited by the wisdom and power of God. If man had an absolute free will, you know what we'd be doing? We'd be trying to be like God. We want to exercise it. If everybody had an absolutely free will, this world wouldn't be fit to live in 24 hours. Because what would we do? Because we all have that nature within us, the will to control... We would want to control, and therefore we'd be exercising our free will. When somebody says man has a free will, man has a will that is limited by the sovereignty of God. Nothing has a free will but Almighty God. Only God has a free will. And you see, the reason that God is never frustrated is because God has all power. You can't frustrate God. You say, well, you know, God must get awfully frustrated with us. No, He doesn't. Well, He must be disappointed. No, He's not. God isn't disappointed, he's not frustrated. He is thinking in terms of human language. He is grieved by our disobedience, grieved by our doubt. But God, you can't frustrate God. You see, to be frustrated means that I want to achieve something I can't. I don't have the ability to do it. Now, in order to accomplish anything, three things are necessary. First of all, to know what I want to do. 
Secondly, to have the will to do it. And thirdly, to be able to do it. Well, there's some things in life that you and I know to do, but we just don't have the will or the power to do it. There's some things that we know to do, we know what we want to accomplish, and we will to do it. We choose, we really want to do it. We just don't have the ability to do it. There is not a single solitary circumstance in life in which God, who always knows what he wants to do, and who knows how to do it, and who has the power to do it, there's not a single thing he can't do. God has chosen not to force, watch this now, not to force his ideal will on anybody. Now, that doesn't mean he won't put strong pressure. I mean strong as, as if it were irresistible pressure upon us. That is not simply some neutral will of the force of will being exercised upon us. That's the love of God exercising his love upon us by putting pressure on us to do something he knows is best for us. God exercises his will in that fashion. So we say that he exercises his power, for example, in nature. He exercises his power in history, governing, guiding civilizations, nations. He exercises his power in the greatest way, I believe, in human personality, which we're talking about. And when I see someone, for example, is living in sin and absolutely going the other way, and suddenly, with no expression of anything on their part, they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, and their life is absolutely radically changed. And the power of God is expressed in that total change of life. And we don't understand oftentimes the simple power of the gospel of Christ. And you see, the gospel, the gospel is the message of the good news of Almighty God, who He is, and the power of God's behind that message. And this week, while I was signing books, this young fellow laid his before me, and he said, I want to tell you something while you're signing. He told me a few weeks ago, whenever it was played, he said, I had a gun to my chest, and I was going to kill myself. And he said, for some reason, I walked over and turned on the television. And he says, there you were talking about suicide. And so he said, I got to listening, and I laid it down, and he said... I knew that God was speaking to me, and I decided right there not to do it. And he says, I gave my life to Christ. He said, now, my friend and I were going to commit suicide together. And so he said, then he wanted to talk me out of giving him the gun. He said, I don't know how they are, what kind of conversation they had, but he said he offered me $800 for my gun. I said, no, I'm not going to sell it to you, because he wanted to commit suicide. This fellow also got saved a little time later. Now, here two men committed to take in their own lives. They turn on the television set. And something comes through the airwaves that they can see. And they can hear it. And something happens in their thinking. And they change their mind. Both of them now are children of God, excited about the gospel. And just a month or two ago, they were going to absolutely snuff out their light. That is the supernatural, divine intervention of Almighty God who sovereignly was in control of their lives. They had chosen death, and God says, no, there's going to be light. You say, well, did God work against their will? No, he didn't work against their will, but God, who is above and beyond all time, and who sees things in their perspective as they should be. And as they're going on, while he sees all of their lives at one glance, he also sees that in this segment of their life, they're trying to end it. So what does he do? In his supernatural power, he causes that person to walk over and turn on the television. Why turn it on? It's amazing to me how many people have said to me, and I'm talking about lots of folks, 
who said to me, I'm going to kill myself, loaded the gun, all these things are going to take place. For some reason, they all said the same thing. For some reason, I walked up and turned on the television set, and there was the program. And talking about something that dealt specifically with where they were hurting and what was going on in their life. That is the sovereign, supernatural power of God intervening in someone's life presenting them with another opportunity to make another wiser choice. Did God force them to do it? No. But he placed the opportunity there, sent the conviction to their heart, and radically changed their thinking. That is the power of God. You can take bulldozers and dynamite and do a lot of changing, but only the grace of Almighty God, the supernatural power of an unconditional loving Father, can radically change human personality and eternal destiny. And that's the kind of God we serve. Therefore, he's not frustrated because he has all power to do all things. Likewise, his greatness is revealed in his knowledge. What is it that God knows? We say he's omniscient. He knows everything. Now, sometimes we wish he didn't, right? But when you and I get in trouble, we say, well, one thing I do want, I'm glad that God knows what's going on. Turn to one Psalm 147. And the 147th Psalm. Listen to what he says. He begins this psalm, of course. This is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving to God and about all the things that he does. And he says in verse 5 of Psalm 147, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. That is, God is so absolutely, perfectly knowledgeable that God knows everything there is to know. He knows things that are to be known that you and I haven't even thought about. He knows all the truth that no man knows, truth that has never been discovered. There is not anything that is knowable that God does not know. There is not anything that could be knowable that God doesn't already know. There are no limitations to his knowledge. He says his knowledge is infinite. Turn to Proverbs 15 for a moment. 15th chapter of the Proverbs. He says in the third verse, The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. There is no place, he says, that he does not see what is happening. And then, for example, you'll recall in Matthew chapter 10, he says, Even the sparrow, isn't it interesting he didn't say the robin, the blue jay, or the bluebird, some more beautiful, attractive bird. He says, even the sparrow, that every sparrow that falls, he says, my father sees it. He says, every hair upon our head is numbered. What he's simply saying is that God knows us infinitely, perfectly, absolutely. There's not a single solitary thing about us that God doesn't know in all of his absolute fullness. Nothing can be known about us that he doesn't know. He knows everything there is to know. So when you and I go to the doctor, and uh, he looks us over and he punches and feels and wants to know how we feel here, there, and yon, and so forth. They go through x-rays. This is man's finiteness trying to find out what God knows absolutely perfectly. His eyes know and can look to the deepest cell of our body and knows what needs to be corrected and how it needs to be changed. He knows what goes on, listen, in the innermost man. He says he knows our motives, he knows our ways, he knows our thoughts, he knows what we would like to do, what we wouldn't like to do. He knows what we fear, what we desire in life. He knows every goal, every dream, every ambition. He knows every facet. He knows the day that you and I were born. He knows the exact second when these hearts are going to beat for the last time. He knows all about that. Infinite in his knowledge. And when you and I come to him 
and seeking guidance and direction, we don't ever have to even question the fact that God knows exactly what we need to know, and he knows the exact answer. Therefore, we can receive clear guidance. But I want to go back to say, in God's relationship to us, if God is to be freed to do what he wants to do in your life and mine, there must be submission of the will. Submitted to God, surrendered to God, yielded to God, so that whatever he desires, he can express that through us. He is absolutely knowledgeable about every single solitary thing in our life. Now, one of the comforting things about that is that we don't ever have to wonder if God knows how we feel. He knows when we hurt. He knows when we're contented. He knows every single thing. So we come to him in prayer. Remember this. When you and I come to him in prayer, we are not coming to offer any information. God will never say to you, I want to retract that statement. He will never come back to you and say, I've got some additional information. He will never revise anything he says to us. This word of God that people oftentimes criticize, listen, there's not anything in there that needs to be changed. And wouldn't you think after all these hundreds and thousands of years of all the hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of people who've read the word of God that somebody would find something in this book that ought to be changed? Right? They can't. You know why? Because it is the mind of God recorded on the printed page. Naturally, there are events, but there are events that God saw to it that were recorded in order to teach us about himself. God is this all-knowing God who has our best interest at heart. So when I come to him in prayer... I don't have to give him any information. He says, you have not because you ask not. And that doesn't mean because God won't know what to do if you don't tell him. He already knows what to do. But he wants us to express what we desire. For example, when he said to Adam, where are you, Adam? He certainly knew exactly where Adam was. He wasn't seeking any information. He wanted Adam to tell him where he was because he wanted Adam to confess where he was. I'm over here hiding in the bushes. Why? He wanted him to recognize that he was guilty, that's where he was, in a state of guilt, in a state of fear, in a state of condemnation, in a state of rebellion, in a state of sinfulness. God knew all of that. He wanted Adam to understand where in his disobedience to God it had now placed him. And so, when we think in terms of the knowledge of God, he knows absolutely everything, and that is to our great, awesome, wonderful advantage even when you and I pray, what do you think he said in Romans 8, for example, when he said, sometimes we don't even know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit, God in his Spirit, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Even when you and I don't even know how to ask and what to ask, what is he doing? He is petitioning the Father in our behalf when we don't even know how to pray. That is the awesome wisdom and knowledge of God that has absolutely no limitation. What a comfort to know that he knows it all. Another way he expresses his greatness is in the expression of his constancy. That is, he's unchangeable. He is constant. There's not anything changing about God. And he says, for example, look in Malachi chapter 3. Third chapter of Malachi, he says it about as clear and as about as concise here as you're going to find it anywhere. He says in the sixth verse of Malachi chapter 3, For I, the Lord, do not change. Now, you don't get any clearer than that. He identifies who's speaking. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. And Jesus said through uh, the light of Hebrews, He said, The same yesterday, today, 
and what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. And, for example, in Hebrews chapter 13, you recall he says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. That means whatever he was yesterday, he is today. Whatever he is today, he will be tomorrow. And you cannot subtract anything from God, and he still be God. You can't subtract anything. You can't add anything. He is absolutely, totally God. And nothing about him changes. Suppose God changed in any given area of his attributes, of his characteristics. Where would that leave us with an awesome sense of uncertainty? When you and I come to him, we know that what he was yesterday and the way he operated yesterday, he'll operate today. That doesn't mean he's going to operate in everybody's life the same. It doesn't mean that I'll always understand all the ways of God. It doesn't mean that he will always exercise all his ways the same, but it doesn't mean that God changes. And if he were a changeable God, then you and I would not have any real security. For example... If he's changeable, we would say, well, we know that he used to accept us by faith. We place that trust in Christ. But now, it may be that it's faith plus works. And so, if he's changeable anywhere, we have a sense of uncertainty. He says, I, the Lord God, change not. What was he saying to us? You can trust me. I am faithful. I am reliable. I'm trustworthy. You can bet on me. I will not change. So that when you and I learn the principles of Scripture, and you and I begin to learn the ways of God, we understand the ways of God, and we understand the teaching of Scripture, we begin to understand who He is. The wonderful thing about it is He never changes. There's not anything about Him that changes. So what? So when you and I learn a principle, we don't have to wonder, is it going to work today but not tomorrow? No, it's going to work today, it's going to work tomorrow, it's going to work all the time because He is a changeless God. And so we sing, our God is an awesome God. Why is He so awesome? Awesome because He's above and beyond all space, above and beyond all time, above and beyond all knowledge, He has it all, above and beyond all power, He controls all things. He is absolutely faithful and reliable, and He's always there, never changing, always trustworthy God. But you know one of the expressions of God, one of the revelations about God, that probably, for me personally, that is the most awesome one of all in His greatness? And that is that this God, who is above and beyond all time and space and has all knowledge of all things, this God who has all power to rule and reign over all of, of this universe, every single solitary person, all of nature, all of history, all of the events of mankind, all of human personality. Here is the greatest expression of the greatness of God to me. And that is this God in His infinite, inscrutable, unsearchable, fathomless personhood. That in all of His greatness and power and might, creation naming the stars, numbering the hairs of our head, creating all the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, ruling and reigning in everything that happens in all of life. Here's what he said. He said, this is the way I want to relate to you. He says, I want to be your father, your shepherd, and your friend. Now, how do we get this awesome, fathomless, immeasurable God and he says, I want to be your father, your shepherd, your friend. You're talking about awesome. So what did he do? Here's what he did. This God who spoke and said, let there be light. 
Let there be the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea. Let us make man in our own image. This same God, in his love for you and me and wanting to walk in such intimacy with us, in all of this immeasurable, incomparable, inexplainable, inscrutable self of his, he capsuled himself to be born in the womb of a virgin called Mary. Inside this young woman was God. He was born like a normal child, but conceived of the Holy Spirit. Grew up like a normal little boy, only without sin. Came in the teenage years without sin to manhood. And at the age of about 30, he began to preach about his heavenly Father. And for three years, he walked among men. The same one who said, let there be light. Let there be the fish of the sea. Let there be mountains. Let there be waters in the firmament. This is the same God who walked on this earth in the form of humanity. This is God clothed in human flesh, walking among men. Talking to mankind about their heavenly Father. And I am the good shepherd. And he says, I am your friend. This is the same God who spoke all of this into being, who has all power. It is the same God who spoke to the storm and walked on the sea and broke the bread. This is the same God who sent the plagues into Egypt and the floods into the early world. This is the same God who talked about naming the stars in space. Now he is here in human flesh. And being verbally abused by mankind, he comes to the cross. And he takes upon himself... In all of his sinless being, all of the sin of all of mankind, and it is all wrapped up in him, laid upon him. And then think about the awesomeness of this. This same God walking in flesh, God the Son, allowed himself to be separated from God the Father and to bear the punishment and the condemnation and the judgment and the guilt and the wrath of Almighty God the Father, in order that all of mankind may be set free of all our sin. They buried him in a tomb, and he couldn't hold him. You know why? Because nothing can hold omnipotence. The same God who created the rock allowed himself to be sealed there. The same God who created this earth and allowed cotton to be grown and the weaving to take place, wrapped in those cloths, just simply moved out of that cloth and left it laying just like it was wrapped around him. And this is the same God who's now walking among his disciples, walk right through this door. He's here and he's gone. He's over there. They got just a little inkling that space... No finite objects can control him. The greatness of God, that he would come and walk among men and speak to us in a language that you and I understand and say to us, this is what God's like. Loving, forgiving Father who wants the best for his children. And my friend, 
Everything I've said to you came straight from the Word of God. He is this infinite, all-powerful, but loving, gentle, father, shepherd, and friend, if you will accept him as your personal Savior through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, how futile and how foolish to live your life and one day meet this infinite God who will judge all of mankind. And when people say, well, now, when I stand before the Lord, I'm going to say this and so, no, you're not. When you stand in the presence of infinite power, infinite wisdom, infinite presence, infinite love, infinite faithfulness, infinite grace, infinite mercy, you're not going to say anything. You're going to receive according to what you have done with Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I want to invite you to make the wisest, smartest, most intelligent, eternally affecting decision that you could ever make in all of your life. And that is to say to God, Father, I'm trusting in the death of your son Jesus, who died for my sins, to forgive me of my sin. And I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, my Master, and my life. He is God, whether you recognize him or not. He is a great God, whether you recognize his greatness or not. One day, he says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the greatness and the glory of God through his Son, Jesus Christ. He's a great God, and I want to encourage you when you pray. Amidst all of your needs, you mix and balance the personhood of God with your request. And what you'll find is this. You'll find yourself asking for less, praising him more, and receiving more as a result of putting the emphasis where it ought to be. He should be the center of our attention, the focus of our prayers, and the heart of our very life. And Father, we thank you and love you for who you are and all of your greatness. We are so insignificant and so nothing compared to who you are. But when you said, I want to be your father, your shepherd, and your friend, then we knew we were somebody special. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.